Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me at Talkin ACC Sports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at ASD underscore Hokie Smash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our podcast guest. Yes, uh, this is Matthew, and I see Brian has joined the room. Brian has joined the room here. I see Jeff. Can you invite him to speak? I have. I don't see him on here yet. And it yes, looks like Brian. he's live. All right. All right. Can you Welcome, guys, we are good to go. Can you guys hear me? Welcome. We can hear you, man. Welcome, Brian. Well, this is the podcast for all sports discussion. This is the longest running independent ACC podcast in the United States. And we are always happy to get new voices on here. Brian Morrow is here. He is a brand new guest on the podcast. He does work at the fan sided blog busting brackets we've had his we've had his brother on here before as we see, as as we say Tristan Freeman they do great work at busting brackets that's fan sided's college football blog and and we're just great fans of that blog and we're ha- always happy to get new talent on here Brian is here with us tonight you can follow him on Twitter at, at three color beard Brian Welcome, man. Before we start, is there anything that you want to plug? Because I know some of the things that you do, I've seen you on Twitter, you talk about matchups and who's going to win each day. I knew you've done that almost every day of the college foot, uh, college basketball season. And I, I actually enjoy that. I think it's pretty cool. So tell us about yourself, anything that you want to plug, anything that you're writing, anything that you're doing in the podcast sphere. The floor is yours, friend. Thanks. So as you all do know, as they said, I do do the picks for the day. Um, I do them every day of the college basketball season um, just for, I mean, you know, I have a lot of gambling follows, even though I don't gamble. It's just kind of a fun thing I do to see who's going to win. I usually have a pretty good uh, success rate there. I don't do it during the tournament because I, like everybody else, am horrible at picking a bracket when it comes to it. Um, I actually was 15 of 16 on the first day and then it's been um, just a a complete and total mess since that point um (laughs) can you guys hear me we can hear you sir you're doing great you're doing great perfect yep and then and then so i am working on a couple projects right now so be on the lookout here because i'm gonna have some gonzaga um, takeaways after they play tonight whether they win or lose and then i'm also working right now um with a couple of sids from fdu try to get some information on that to just kind of give some more insight into how big of an upset that actually was. Um, so when they beat Purdue, uh, the, the, the money disparity and the budget disparity of both of those schools, Purdue obviously having the much larger budget than FDU um, with the payrolls of the coaches, the arenas, student size, um, Ken Palm ranking, everything, whatever you want to go into. The Big Ten was, Network resources. Yeah, that was probably the biggest upset of all time. Um, just, I mean, throwing that out there. So the Big Ten's actually had two of the biggest college basketball upsets of all time this year because it had also Eastern Illinois over Iowa. And Eastern Illinois, I believe, was a 35-and-a-half-point underdog in that game, and they won by 12. So at Iowa. Um, so, Yeah. It's really, I'm also just a couple things about me. So I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm a graduate and super fan of Nebraska. Yes, I do enjoy their the Nebraska basketball team. At least I like to root for them. Sometimes I don't really enjoy watching them very much. Um, but I do enjoy um, that program. I am a huge Big Ten fan. I like all of college basketball. And I, if you have followed me on Twitter, you will know that I have um, watched successfully all 363 basketball teams in Division One this year, at least once, including Chicago State and including Hartford. So, oh man, we're thrilled to have you on here. So, just uh, I'll, I'll just talk briefly here. One of my really good friends is Tim Miles. Okay. Do you you say have, do you uh, what what I always thought that Nebraska should have kept him. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about that. <laughs> so. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and right. I never believed that Miles got a fair chance with Bill Moose that last year. 
it was a tournament or bust year for him. When then Isaac and they started out sixteen and one that year, if you remember correctly, and then Isaac Copeland got hurt, and then things just kind of went by the wayside there. Um, so it was a tournament or bust year, and so they let Tim Miles go, which, given how many seniors were on that last team, and what he had coming in, it was going to be a bad year anyways, and. I know hindsight is 2020 and miles is a fantastic coach and he made Nebraska relevant. And I wish we would have kept him here. And I was never really for firing him, especially now given that what Hoiberg has done, but you don't really know when you f- hire a guy that Fred's going to fail. Right. Same, same concept with Scott Frost here at Nebraska. It was a, slam dunk hire that if we didn't make the hire for Fred Hoiberg, somebody else would have. So if you want to get your guy, you got to get your guy. But I don't really believe that Miles should have been fired. He's a fantastic dude, great person, players coach, kids love him. He was able to get some talent in here that could win in the Big Ten. His style was working. Um, But I guess to piggyback off of that, this year, Fred Hoiberg finally looked like he had a clear plan of how he wanted to win games in the league. He had a clear plan of the type of players he wants to recruit. And he sort of had a clear plan as to what he wants to do on offense and on the defensive side of the ball. And it looks like the last, I would say, so this Big Ten season in the end of last year, seems like he's got a little bit of momentum going here in the league. So hopefully... He can build off that next year. Um, but without Derek Walker, without Sam Greasel, without likely Casey Tominaga, without likely um, so Emmanuel Bandamel, who's the best defender that I've ever seen live in my life. I've watched a lot of basketball, and he was everywhere. Uh, without those three, it might be tough, but you'll still have Jamarcus Lawrence coming back, who I believe is an all-Big Ten caliber player. Um, potential like honorable mention all-american kids really talented you should have um so with that being said you'll also have cj wiltshire coming back who i also believe had a horrible season and is looking for a huge bounce back year and you should have some incoming talent a kid from ing named eli rice who is a scorer in high school obviously we all know that doesn't always translate to the college but he should be pretty good and they have some feelers out in the transfer portal um, to get some kids that'll fit into his style and he also has Jawan Gary um, from Alabama coming back who everything I've heard said he should be good to go for the start of the year after his shoulder surgery to repair a torn um, torn disc in his shoulder he should be back for those that don't know Jawan Gary played at Alabama for Nate Oates so he comes from a winning program um, a really good rebounder, really big, strong, tough, big man who plays really good defense in the uh, underneath. Um, so they have some prospects to hopefully be good, but I hope that the Nebraska fans and this fan base and the athletic department don't don't consider it to be a tournament or bust type of year because I don't know about you guys, but I feel in my mind that those never work because then you're giving way too much of a ultimatum and pressure on the coaches and the players that they're going to start counting losses. And then eventually it's just going to get to be too much. So hopefully I just let the kids play, but that's all I got. Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. Let's transition to this. This is an, this is an ACC podcast. This is the longest running independent ACC podcast in the United States. Give us your thoughts on the opening NCAA tournament weekend for the ACC men's basketball teams. I mean, it, it's kind of been a rough road here. Uh, not too many are going to make it to the next weekend here, but we would just want to give your thoughts on, on what, what, where you think, where, what, what do you think so far of, of, of the AC, of, of the ACC teams here? So as we're taping this or recording this, I should say it's eight twelve PM central standard time. And Miami is just about to tip off. They are the last ACC school left. Pitt was a team that impressed me a lot. Kind of all year, really. Uh, he, Capel is another one who, struggled mightily and everyone was wondering why he still kept his job but he 
found a lot of guys that worked, right? And he has the the Diaz Graham twins, and he has Federico Federico, and he just loaded those front court players up with a ton of shooting. And Pitt, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that Pitt played really well, and Iowa State also played probably the worst game they could have possibly played in the first round of that tournament. And Pitt had great matchups because Mississippi State also is anemic to offense. If you hadn't watched them play all year, great defensive team, can't score at all. Iowa State usually can score more than that, but also a great defensive team. But I thought they'd score more than 41 points, but here we are. Um, So Pitt was really good. Miami is actually a team that impressed me because I actually did pick Drake to beat them because I thought that Drake was the better team and Miami when they have Omier and their two guards mostly Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack they are really hard to beat when all three of those guys are playing really well and I didn't know if Omier was going to play and if he did play I didn't know if he was going to be healthy and he played and has been playing well so they're tough to beat and Duke was a surprise to me as well not one because of, well one because of how good they were playing but two because to me and this is just observation from watching it and I watched Duke play obviously a few times this year as I watched everybody play but I watched Duke you know five or six times for some reason it seemed like they shied away from the physicality that Tennessee was going to bring the rest of the game early in that game and they tried to outshoot them which is fine but when you're not making the shots, you got to get physical, and it doesn't look like Lively or Filipowski really wanted to get that way in that game, which kind of was their downfall ultimately. Other than that, though, it was an okay showing. I mean, they might only have one team in the in the the might only have one team in the second weekend, but that's far better off than the Big Ten is right now. So, those are fair comments. Those are fair kind of comments, Jeff. Friend. You're- All right. Um, yeah, and as we're recording this podcast, we've got Miami and Indiana playing right now. Miami's up uh, 11 with Indiana at the throw line trying to, to cut it to 10. And, you know, a lot of the points that um, that that, were, that Brian just made about Miami so far have been been evident here with, with, with the good guard play from Miami against Indiana, but a long way to go in that game. Um, uh, Brian, give us your brief thoughts on, on Georgia Tech's hire, uh, Damon Stoudemire. And I'm, I'm a Georgia Tech guy, and I was pretty happy about this. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. So I'll give you mine, and then if you want to give me yours as to why you're happy about it, because I've seen some very mixed reviews on the hire from some Georgia Tech followers that I have. So some Georgia Tech fans that I know are very disappointed in the hire because I thought that Georgia Tech could have done better. While I don't disagree... I don't think that Damon Stoudemire is a bad coach at all. He has, so, I mean, yes, it's this very same Damon Stoudemire that played in the NBA. The very same Damon Stoudemire that was on an NBA bench as of this year. So he's an NBA assistant, right? And we all know that NBA assistants can go one of two ways. So you have NBA head coaches like Fred Hoiberg, who is not doing great right now. You have NBA assistants like Jawan Howard, who are very hit and miss. Right. Damon Stoudemire has actually coached in the college game before, much like Hoiberg has. John Howard never did. But Stoudemire coached in the West Coast Conference at Pacific. And he never made the tournament, but he did make Pacific relevant for the years he was there. And they actually were pretty good. I mean, again, never made the tournament. I don't think he ever he may have made a CBI but I know he never made an NIT or anything like that um, but he had them relevant and had them playing pretty well when he left to go back to the NBA so I don't think it's a terrible hire I think he's going to get guys in there to come play Georgia Tech is as far as I know not a real hard place to recruit to Atlanta's a nice city a lot of kids like to come to Atlanta good facilities play in the ACC so all those things are going for you. Damon Sotomayor also has the NBA in. He's, you know, on NBA benches. He's played in the NBA. He has 
a lot of the AAU coaches in mind as well because he knows a lot of those guys. So it's going to be a good hire. They'll get the recruiting back up. He should be able to start getting them competitive again. And then the way I feel is that Josh Pastner was there for probably three years too long anyway. So anybody at this point is better than Pastner is, at least in my opinion. Yeah, you pretty much couldn't have said it any better uh, myself. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I agree with with every one of those points about why I, he was a good hire. I mean, um, Josh Pastner had the ACC title. You know, nobody can take that away from him. But, I mean, largely his his tenure has been marked by, you know, mediocrity at Georgia Tech in the, in the last two years, uh, have been pretty much disastrous, lost 29 ACC games the last two years. Uh, it took a flourish of a finish, you know, not to, for it to be um, 30 this year, uh, finished 6-14 and 14 in the ACC, and that, that was with a good finish. Um, I, I like – you know, the NBA background, his, his job at Pacific, he inherited, uh, you know, when you, when you read into it, he inherited a program that traditionally struggled. They were on sanctions when he took over. And, you know, by the time he left, they were a 20 game rim winner, WCC coach of the year, um, NBA background. I, I think what you said is exactly the point. He's going to be able to get kids there. Um, and that's what, what Josh Pastner by and large couldn't, I mean, he was a noted recruiter at Memphis, but that never really panned out at, at, at Georgia, Georgia tech. Um, even his, his uh, best players, you know, weren't super high recruited players like Jose Alvarado, who turned into an all ACC NBA point guard or Josh Akoji was a, was a three-star that kind of exploded when he got there. But as far as like high end, you know, top 100, top 50 talent he just hasn't recruited he just didn't recruit too many guys uh like that and and he had his philosophy of of get old and stay stay old which okay if it if it works that's that's great but you know i think we can see when you look at the ncaa tournament a lot of these teams are a mix of of quality players and and older um older teams and i i you know right now uh, I think Stadamar looks like a good hire. Of course, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, like you said, there's been some former NBA players and assistants that have gone on to great things in the college level and, and some that, you know, just, just didn't do very well. But I mean, I think he can do a lot of things that like Anthony Hardaway is doing at Memphis. I, I don't see why he can't have that level of success at Georgia tech and start to get right. them into the, to the NCAA tournament. And for those of you that know, if you follow me, like I was a really, I was super, I was, I did not like Penny Hardaway for a long time. I was really critical of him a lot. I figured I was like, all this talent, but they're, you're never good. You can't make the tournament. Same thing with Stackhouse. And they both have sort of been given time to kind of work their magic on this program. And what's coming to fruition. I guess the, the verdict's still out on Stackhouse because he's only had really one good year. But Penny... With Houston leaving the AAC is now going to probably have run of that conference for a long time. So. Oh, yes, right. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, but Penny Hardaway, I was his biggest critic. I was never a big fan of his, and I made it publicly known. Um, I'm surprised Penny hasn't blocked me on Twitter yet, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was also <laughs> kind of skeptical of the hire, um, but I mean, it. it it looks like so far so good there there at Memphis. Uh, knocked out early this year in the tournament, but I mean that was a that was a pretty talented team. That Memphis FAU game was the best game of the entire tournament so far. And speaking yeah, of that, as we're recording this, in with 17 minutes left to go in the second half, Fairly Dickinson is beating FAU by five. Wow, that would be. Something else there. If a 16 seed made it to the Sweet 16, never yes. been done before. But uh, only NI, I just say with NIL and the transfer portal, like this is not going to be something that is just a rare occurrence anymore. I don't think. I mean, the gap is closing considerably from these mid-major schools to the high majors. So this is this is uh, Seth Greenberg's alma mater, by the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. It is. 
it is his alma mater. The only like famous person I that I've heard of that has gone to FDU. So, and also give it up for the state of New Jersey in the last three NCAA tournaments, man. They've just the last two for sure. Because St. Peter's is in New Jersey, Princeton's in New Jersey, and Fairleigh Dickinson's in New Jersey. So there you go. All right, Brian, let's look at a couple of other locations um, that are looking at coaches. And we're going to call this our coaching hire prospect lightning round. Uh, we're going to say uh, we're going to look at Notre Dame. Who should they hire? Uh, St. John's and Georgetown. So if you're going to ask me who I think Notre Dame should hire, this is going to come from my fandom at Nebraska. I think Notre Dame should hire Greg McDermott. I've heard his name thrown around. I think he'd be a good coach. Plus, it would make me kind of happy. Um, that he's not at Creighton anymore. But with that being said, I've heard Greg McDermott's name thrown around a lot for that job. I've also seen uh, Fran McCaffrey's name thrown around a lot for that job. Because for those that don't know, Fran got his start uh, coaching for Digger on his staff at Notre Dame. His wife is also a former All-American there as a basketball player. Um, So... I don't know if I don't know if he'll take that job. I don't know if he'll be offered that job, just because. And this always sounds bad, and I hate saying this, but Notre Dame has an image that they try to portray, and Fran, I don't think, with the way he acts on the sidelines, fits into that image. Unfortunately, I think he's a great coach. He is a great coach, but I just don't know if that's something Notre Dame wants. I think McDermott is a is opening for that job. And I've also heard that if he doesn't get that, Mike Shrewsbury from Penn State may be one as well. Georgetown, I've heard it's Cooley's to Ed Cooley from Providence's to to take or leave. I was told today he's going to make a decision on that within the next 48 hours of whether he's staying at Providence or leaving Providence for Georgetown. <laughs> I mean, uh, the Georgetown job... If you can get Georgetown playing really well again and they're really good, that's one of the better jobs to have in the United, entire country. It's just right now it's so bad because Patrick Ewing just turned them into nothing. And it's sad to see. And then for St. John's, I've also been told that... Oh, and so if, if Cooley does not take the Georgetown job, it's going to be also Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State if he takes it. Uh, I think that's his dream job. And then if... If you're talking about St. John's, probably Rick Patino, and then their backup plan is I don't really know who their backup plan is at this point. I think they have all their chips in their Rick Patino basket. But again, do you really want to start fresh with a guy who's what is he almost he's almost 80, isn't he? Rick? He's gotta be close. Yeah, he's a he he's got some years on him. <laughs> yeah, so I mean he's still a great coach, but does have what he used to have at Louisville is the question. And you know what you're going to get when you get him. You're going to get a defensive team that shoots a ton of threes and beats people. So that's what you're going to get, and they rebound the wall well. So He's younger He's younger than Laranega, I think, a little bit. He's 70. Patino's 70 or Laranega? No, uh, Patino's 70. He's younger than Laranega. Okay. okay. I didn't thought he was older than that, but okay. All right, so Patino also, after the whole scandal at Louisville, which – who knows how much into that he actually was, how much he knew, how much he didn't. Not for me to say. But he's actually been, you know, pretty clean since then. There hasn't been anything that's really come out about him since that point. So um, the 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 craziest hire that I saw the last couple of weeks, though, was McAneese hiring Will Wade. And then within 12 hours after hiring him, they suspended him for 10 days. 10 games. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but they, they hired him and they gave his press conference and then they suspended him for 10 days. Um, just because like self-imposed sanctions, I don't even know if Will Wade can even coach still. If he's even going to get a show cause, cause they still aren't done with that investigation yet. And then the last one was, um, Ole Miss just not being able to read a room at all and hiring Chris Beard and having like the most awkward press conference of all time. <laughs> you guys didn't see it. So um, like they basically gave everybody a gag order and said, you're not allowed to talk about anything other than coaching. So I was like, well, okay, that's going to be difficult with Chris Beard at the, at the 
press conference literally like four months later, but here we are. So, um, yeah. All right, Brian, we're going to have our next, what we call in our next lightning round here, our sweet 16 elite eight and final four. Um, I think you, you've kind of already answered this here at the beginning, you know, is there an ACC team, uh, that can get to Houston for the final four. And with Miami being the only remaining uh, team for the ACC in the field and trying just to get to the sweet 16, um, if they were to get by Indiana, do you think they can get to the sweet 16? Let me see who they would. Let me look at the bracket real quick. Cause I'm not as, um, so if they win today, let me pull my bracket up here. Um, it's loading here. So if they win today, they would. I'm just checking to see who they'd play. They would play Houston. No, <laughs> I don't. If they win today, they get to the Sweet 16. If they, I don't think Miami can beat Houston. However, I will say this: What Houston team is going to show up? Because the one that played against Northern Kentucky and in the first half of yesterday's game is very beatable. The one that played in the second half of yesterday's game is going to win the national title. So the question is what Houston team shows up if, if. So Houston obviously has Sasser, the All-American. They have Jamal Shedd, one of the best point guards in the country. They have two of the, like, I mean, Jerace Walker, if you guys haven't watched Houston, is a six foot eleven, like, built like Oscar Shibway monster in the middle who can step out and hit threes. He's a shot blocking machine. And then have Jawan Roberts, who's not really much for the offense, but is a defensive stalwart, blocks a ton of shots, rebounds everything in the middle. And then they have this do everything guard named Tremont Mark, who can get to the lane, 90% free throw shooter, shoots the ball well from the outside. He went crazy yesterday. In the second half, he scored, I think, like 19 points in a row for Houston yesterday while Sasser and Shed were on the were on the sidelines because of foul trouble. So if they can get that kind of production out of those guys. okay, and that's not to mention the seldom, I mean, not the seldom use, but like the extra guard who comes in to spell Sasser and Shed named Emmanuel Sharp, who's a sharpshooter kind of fits into his name. He's a really good three point shooter. If he can get hot. They can, I mean, they're, they're, Houston's really hard to beat. However, it's a tournament. Houston's got a target on their back. They're going to have to, I mean, everyone knows that they're going to try to play in the Final Four in their home city of Houston and that they've been the number one team for most of the year. They're going to be tough to beat, but Miami does have guys like Omier and the two guards that can probably um, give Houston some trouble because. Auburn gave Houston trouble in the first half yesterday because of the athleticism of the guards. Um, but then they kind of adjusted to it and shut them down. So we'll see. It'll be tough. But um, I, I, I have Houston winning the whole thing. So I don't see Miami getting past them. No, unfortunately. All right. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Houston's a great team. And, and, I think what we've seen a lot in this in this tournament, um, you know, it's been great as always crazy upsets. But I mean, there's been some awful shooting during the NCAAs and it hadn't always been good to it hadn't always been um, from just good defense. But what Houston did to Auburn yesterday, they absolutely suffocated them in the second half. That was (laughs) that was amazing. Auburn, I think they said they made two baskets like baskets the entire half. And if you watch that game, poor John High Broom, he was six of 23 from the free throw line yesterday. Um, and Houston kept fouling him. So just, they, they knew he wasn't going to make anything. They kept fouling him because he was, he's athletic enough to give those guys trouble. So they fouled him and they put him at the line. And when they didn't foul him, that game also was officiated really tight for some reason. I don't really know why. Um, it was just officiated really tight. There was some really touchy fouls in that game. But today, 
So Jeff Goodman, whether you like him or not, did post something on Twitter today that made me like laugh a little bit. The shooting percentage from three point from three point range in the NCAA tournament is thirty percent for every team total combined. That's terrible. Thirty percent deep, thirty percent shooting from deep from everybody. And also another thing I've noticed in the tournament, I don't know if you guys noticed this too. Does it seem like there's been multiple guys who have like committed fouls on three point shooters that I've never seen before. There's at least like one or two a game. Like what is going on? Or the other ones that I see that infuriate me are when the guards drive the lane and get all the way down in there and then like pass off to the big man. And it's a turnover. I'm like, why are you just go up with the ball? Why are you, why are you passing it? <laughs> just, there's a lot of things in this tournament that have really kind of blown my mind that I don't usually see a lot. So I don't know. When you're trying to win a title, a lot of you do a lot of different things. So, and the FDU versus Purdue game, it was infuriating. I'm like, guys, Zach Eady's seven five. The tallest guy that FDU has is six six. Why are you not throwing him the ball every time down the floor? It did blew my mind that they could not get him the ball. I don't think he got a touch for about eight and a half minutes in the second half. They said something like that. So I don't know, but. Shooting's been bad. Foul, like, shooting's been bad. There has been an absorbently large amount of fouls called, and there's been a lot of fouls on three-point shooters. That's just my observations. But the games have been great. They've been close. Hasn't really been too well. There's been a couple blowouts. Pitt and San Diego State blew out their two opponents in the standalone game, which is unfortunate. But other than that, it's been very good. So... And Kansas yep. lost, if you are a fan of that. So, Yeah, absolutely here. Okay, let's look at um, the Sweet 16 and your Elite 8 winners. So, uh, Brian, give us who who you have in the Sweet 16, and we've already got most of the Sweet 16 in there. Um, but give us your winners, your Elite 8 winners, and who you have in the Final Four. Okay, so, so uh, you want me to do the ones that have already – qualified then right or you want me to yeah just go ahead and like who, who's gonna who's gonna go from the from the sweet 16 um to the elite eight your elite eight winners and then your your results here on the final four so we're gonna start in the south um alabama is going to advance to all the way to the final four i don't see anybody in their side of the bracket that's going to even give them a game i don't know if they'll break a sweat to be honest Alabama's they're they may be one of the best basketball teams in history. They're very good. Um, Creighton is gonna beat Princeton. However, I would like to see Princeton go on, but I just think that Creighton Creighton's gonna beat them. And then Tennessee will play the winner of FDU FAU. I I don't know if you guys. For those, and those ACC podcasts, I don't know how much SEC basketball you watch, but Tennessee is almost, they're impossible to score on. They have really mobile big dudes who are, move around everywhere, and they're really hard to score on and have the best defense in the country, so they're going to probably advance to the Elite Eight. And I, I don't know. I'm not going to bet against Izzo, because I did already once in the, when I filled out a bracket, so Michigan State will go to the Elite Eight there as well. And then we have, obviously, you guys have heard my opinions on Houston, so I'm going to pick Houston. And then I have Xavier going to the Elite Eight because I just think they're scoring when they're getting going. They can light up a scoreboard pretty quick, and I'll put them over Texas. Arkansas and UConn is an extremely intriguing game for me because UConn can shoot. Arkansas gets inside, and they have really athletic guards, and they play good defense, but they're not great shooters. But UConn can shoot, and they have Sonogo in the middle. So give me... But Arkansas has Eric Musselman, and Musselman in the tournament is a different beast. So I'm going to go with UConn just because... And the emotional win over of Arkansas over Kansas is kind of going to... Um, you know, that's, that's a lot. So give me Arkansas, and then Gonzaga hopefully should win tonight. They play later tonight, so they should win... 
And I do believe that Gonzaga will be too much for UCLA. I know that nobody wants to hear that because I'm sure we have a lot of the Gonzaga haters out there, but they're good again. Um, and this is the year that nobody has really any expectations for them to do well, so it's probably the year they'll do well. And I think it will beat UCLA. And in the Elite Eight, for my Final Four, out of the remaining teams, we'll go Alabama over Creighton. We will go then... We'll go Michigan State over Tennessee. We're going to go Houston over Xavier. And we will go Gonzaga over um, UConn. So I'll just say you're going to have, this is Matthew, you're going to have Houston playing in the final four in Houston where my sister and my brother-in-law live in Houston. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. That's going to be a pretty amazing scene down there, isn't it, Brian? I was saying, I wrote so I wrote an article about this earlier. Um, I've been covering Houston through the tournament. <laughs> there, if they are at home, that's why a lot of people I think are picking them to win it if they can get there. Because if they're at home, and same goes with Texas. So if Texas somehow gets, they're in the same side of the bracket. So if Texas can get there and Texas can beat Houston, they're both teams are essentially going to be playing home games. Because Texas fans travel well, and Houston and Austin are not that far away. I mean, it's within driving distance. But if Houston can get to the Final Four in their home city, it's going to be electric in that place. And Houston, I when was the last time they even made a Final Four? It's been a long time. Five Slamma Jamma, friend. Five was that was that the one? I didn't want to speak out of turn there, but yes, I believe that is. Yeah, that's correct. I just looked it up. So Five Slamma Jamma was the last time with. Hakeem the Dream and Clyde and all those guys on those teams. And uh, <laughs> if they get there again, and Houston's never won a title. So if they get there again, it's going to be electric in that place. And I believe the last team to play a Final Four at home, I read earlier, was UCLA back in the 80s, I think. It was the last time. So it's been a while. Oh, my. Oh, my. All right, Brian, we're going to close this podcast with an open microphone. Whatever's on your mind, Brian, the floor is... Okay, so let's do it this way. So just a couple things to, that are impressive to me. This is now the sixth NCAA tournament in a row where the defending champ has not made it out of the second... has not made it out of the first weekend, has not made it out of the second round. Okay, sixth tournament in a row. There will this the for there won't be a repeat champion. The last repeat champion was Florida. Okay. I think that the as I mentioned before, it's also the third year in a row that a 15 seed has advanced to the Sweet 16. Oral Roberts being the first. Well, sorry, Florida Gulf Coast being the first one, but then it was a while till they happened again. And then you have Oral Roberts, St. Peter's. And Princeton being the three in a row, the the brackets have been, there hasn't, so there's been upsets, but there haven't been upsets, right? There's been upsets, you know, the Princetons and the FDUs and whatnot. But as a rule, if you look at the bracket and who's advanced, it's been mostly chalk. Most of the higher seeds have won their games, um, to be honest which is actually strange to think about. Um, other than that, I'm pretty excited for the finals. I hope Houston does win. It'd be a nice thing for that city, nice thing for that university. And keep in mind that back in the 2000s, Kelvin Sampson, early 2000s, Kelvin Sampson was the coach at Indiana. He was let go because of NCAA sanctions when you couldn't text a recruit at all. And he texted a recruit and got put on NCAA sanctions and Indiana fired him. He was on a show cause for, I think two years for that, which is now that you think about it, like really dumb that that was ever a thing, but it was. Um, and then he's at Houston now and has built Houston into a college basketball power. So you just kind of have to ask yourself and play the what if game. What if um, Kelvin Sampson never would have been fired in Indiana? And what if he was still their coach? How many titles would they have won? Would they have been one of the premier programs in the country? And 
I also do firmly believe that there will be a few more coaching openings here, and one of them is going to be Kentucky. Because I think Calipari is, is, is done there. Whether he wants to be or not, I just think it's not gonna. It's not a match made anymore. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but uh, it's gonna be a match made. You just made news tonight. I don't think uh, that's. I don't. <laughs> I, I have no inside information on that at all. Just a, a hunch I have, just by body language and you know everything else. No, I so. hear you. I hear you. I mean, it's it's very similar to like some people think ham should be done at Florida State. Yeah. Well, maybe. Some people think that. Some people have said, like, you should retire. I'm like, yeah. I mean, they're not going to – he's done more for that unit. They're not going to let him. They're not going to I agree. Him. Like, if they tell him, like, they'll be like, oh, early retirement, right? Like, they're not going to fire him. I mean, I don't think Calipari will get fired either just because of who he is. I think he'll have to be like a – you can resign or take a job in the, you know, athletic department or whatever. But I don't think that he'll get fired. Now, with that being said – who would have thought that Louisville would be as bad as they were? And going back to Tim Miles, I know he's like the top candidate for the Cal job right now, but if I was him, I would stay at San Diego State or San Jose State, I'm sorry, because that Cal job is a mess. I don't know anybody that would want to go coach there. They're a mess. For those that don't know, Cal won three games, and those were – uh they only won those three games by a few points, and they were really bad. Like Louisville, at least. I mean, Louisville wasn't good, but Louisville had a little bit more prospects than Cal. But Cal was really bad. And another thing for those of you that follow Power 5 basketball, every starter but Dawson Garcia for Minnesota has entered the transfer portal, and they won seven games last year. So there you go. Ben Johnson's going to have another probably pretty bad year. I've always thought they should have hired my friend Ben Jacobson. They should have. I don't know why that I Ben Johnson, I believe, went there, I think. And I know he's from Minnesota, but I they just never that hire never made sense to me at all. I just was like, I don't even know if he's even that good of a coach. And I really still don't know if he's that good of a coach. I don't know. I, they're like, well, he's not. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> Minnesota kind of was, I mean, with the stuff that happened under Patino's watch and they got all those kids in trouble, right? And all those kids left and transferred just because of the state of the program. It was hard for anyone to go in there and win the first year. But after the first year, he got a bunch of kids in there, all transfers. And yeah, he dealt with a bunch of injuries, but they still had Dawson Garcia and Jamison Battle and Tawan Cooper and all guys that had played in the NCAA tournament before. And they were still really bad. So, I mean, if you didn't watch them play, they were not a good basketball team. And it bothers me to know that in Nebraska's last game with an NIT bid on the line, they lost to them. But that's it is. It's, I'm over it now, in case you couldn't tell. Um, but uh, <laughs> other than that, I, Power 5 basketball is hard. It's hard to win it. Just always remember, everybody, that it, you have to win a national championship. You have to win six games in six days. It's hard. It's really hard to do. And if Purdue played FDU ten more times now and today, they win by fifty probably every time. So, but they didn't, and they caught them on a perfect day. And good for FDU, and I hope they continue making a run, just because it's a cool story. So, and also. I did see something the other day on I'm, I'm not for just this is kind of off the cuff here. I think expanding the tournament is a bad idea unless you're going to give auto bids to the conference winners and the tournament winners. And I've also seen them make dropping it down to 32 teams and getting rid of the auto bid, which is really dumb because the tournament is made by teams like Florida Atlantic and FDU and schools like that. So that's just my. I'm 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 with you, Jeff. Friend, you're up. All right, let's. Uh, you know, we've talked about the men's basketball tournament and the ACC. Uh, going a little bit better is is the women's basketball tournament for the for the ACC. We're going to take a quick th- look through the bracket. Uh, Notre Dame uh, made it into the Sweet 
16. They'll be playing uh, Maryland. And that is in uh, my neck of the woods here in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, looking further down, Louisville plays Texas tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for the right to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, Duke and Colorado tomorrow night uh, for the right to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, you've got North Carolina and Ohio State also tomorrow to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, Virginia Tech, number one seed. They've already advanced to the Sweet 16, so the Hokies moving right along. And don't forget, you forget Indiana and Miami, too? Yep, that that I would that was the one I was going to hit next. You got Indiana um, playing Miami. Uh, Miami had a had a really they had a sixty one or sixty two sixty one win in a close game yesterday against Oklahoma uh, State, and that's on Monday too. So uh, the women's the women's ACC teams uh, going much better than for the men, but could be huge for Miami a potential uh, chance to have two sweet 16 teams, though it would take quite an effort by the uh, the Miami ladies to knock off number one seed, Indiana, who are a very, very good basketball team. So we'll see how that how that goes uh, the rest of this week. So for those of you that have not watched women's basketball, and I know not a lot of people have because you just have to look at the numbers, but there is a there are some really talented girls that play basketball. South Carolina has a whole slew of them. Uh, mainly Aaliyah Boston, who's their center. I don't think South Carolina's on like a UConn-style run right now. They've been lost in a couple of years. Um, then you have, let's see, you have Maddie Segrist at Villanova, who scored 50 this year in a game, twice actually. So she, or actually, sorry, once. She scored 52. She's the only player, men and women, to score 50 this year. And then if you haven't heard about the superstar that plays at Iowa, Caitlin Clark. Do yourself a favor and watch Iowa women's basketball because she is an unbelievable basketball player and a joy to watch play. She's the country leader in triple doubles. I think she has, I think, 13 or 14 of them in her career. So she's very, very good. And they all those teams have advanced. So there you go. Villanova actually plays tomorrow. They haven't advanced yet, but oh. And Villanova, if you guys want good TV, Villanova plays the 34-3 and Florida Gulf Coast Eagles as well. So, there you go. Women's basketball. Well said, friend. Well said. Uh, I'm going to close here. I'm going to close here with the podcast and, and kind of hammer the athletic a little bit, right? The athletic magazine. I blogged about them earlier earlier today. They they they, uh, they were trying to pull me back in and giving me a discount for $150 a month. And one of their niche brands, guys, you know this, right? Was was to was to have college, you know, have the, have you know, we're hiring your college football beat writers so you can read about your favorite team. And, and they did a really good job for a while hiring all these beat writers, and then all of a sudden they eliminated like everyone and and, and just absolutely destroyed their niche. I mean, a lot, a lot, and and I, I I haven't seen a whole lot of press about it, but I noticed that they got they got rid of the Virginia Tech beat writer, they got rid of the Oregon beat writer. They got rid of the Colorado beat writer, and then they got rid of the Washington Huskies beat writer, and that one was even a little more puzzling to me simply because I think personally that Washington has a very good chance next year to be in the college football playoff. I think that they are on the short list if you look at college football playoff teams. They were, it feels like sort of like 1990 again in Seattle, and they got rid of him too. And so they're basically... They basically have a bunch of SEC and a bunch of Big Ten teams that they're writing about at the college foot at the at the athletic on their college football site right now, and it's a little disappointing to to Jeff and I. I think Brian, what are your thoughts? Um, so I don't get into the athletic at all because so I don't know who the actual. I think Mitch Sherman, maybe I don't know who it is for Nebraska that writes for the athletic. Um, but everything I get, so everything I get, I go to on three, um, because it's a, but it's a dollar a month. And that's where usually the guys who's writing, I, I like the people that I've talked to, the people that I know in the industry work for them. So that's who I go to. I don't really read much of the athletic, except I know that it's, 
correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's Seth Davis's baby. Is that correct? It's his, his it's his brainchild, right? Is that is that true? Is that what I read? And and Stuart Stuart it's, Mandel as well. Okay, so yeah, well, okay, so Seth Davis and Stuart Mandel. Um, I, I don't really. I guess my thought is, I don't know why you fire all these people it kind of feels like a sports illustrated thing happening all over again where they're just laying off people that they don't feel that they need i feel and this is me being a blogger and i'm never gonna say anything bad about like national writers because they're great and they're solid people and they've helped me a lot but you're gonna get the passion and the passion and the knowledge from an independent blog that doesn't pay okay amen i'm with you just like you are from the site that you pay for but if you feel like you need to pay for a site just because you like what their content they're having that's fine but try to find some independent blogs fan side has got a ton of them um on three's got a lot of them on three does have paid writers that usually work for universities though so find stuff like that because you're going to get the same content and those those individuals are still just as plugged in and have the same number of sources that a guy like Stuart Mandel or a, you know, um, a Stuart Mandel or a Seth Davis would have. And I know that this is going to sound weird out there because they've done some things, but the field of 68 is out there. Okay. Tristan Freeman from busting brackets does contribute to the field of 68. It also has a lot of other really good writers. Um, so Rob Douster and Jeff Goodman are part of that. They're the ones who kind of created it. It's actually Rob Douster's. Um, it's his thing. He, he started it. But they're on independent side as well. It has a lot of independent writers on there. Um, and they do a really good job of, of really covering everything college basketball. Um, I'm also to the point of when you start getting just specific teams, right? So you get the Washington beat writers, Virginia Tech beat writers, and Nebraska beat writers. Obviously, you're going to get what you want, but it's also kind of really watered down um, because I don't know how many of those guys are. Well, I'm just speaking from the guys I know are really plugged into the, the university, but I also don't know how plugged in they are to everything nationally either, right? I mean, they're really big into the Big Ten because they have to be, but as far as like, do they know a lot about Big East basketball, Big East you know, Big East basketball, ACC football, SEC football. Sure, they know a lot about the Big Ten because they have to because that's the conference they work in. But independent blogs, you're going to have something for everyone everywhere. You are the man. You are the man. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast tonight. We loved having you on the show, and we would love to have you come back again sometime. Thanks again for spending your Sunday evening with us. You're welcome, guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. Have a great week, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.